This morning we're going to pick up in the book of Galatians where we've left off, and um, we're going to pick up in chapter 5, verse 13 and following, uh, all the way through to um, verse 15. I'm going to read a short text this morning. Um, we're going to talk about liberty, what it means that uh, Christ has purchased our liberty, and all the, or some of the implications of that. I'm not going to imagine that I would cover all the implications of that this morning. But so turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. It would be appropriate, I think, this morning, if uh, you stood for the reading of the Word. And if you're able, would you stand with me as we read Galatians chapter 5? This is the inspired and errant and fallible Word of God. And you know, it is good for faith and for practice. It informs us. The Word of God is sufficient for us and for our needs. And so let's be careful as we hear these words from the Apostle Paul as he writes to the Galatian church on the Spirit's inspiration. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you this morning that your spirit, that you would send your spirit into our hearts and that you would remove the, the scales that form over our eyes, that you would soften the stiffness that, that forms in our necks, that you would indeed make our hearts pliable to receive and to respond to your word. Father, help us this day to examine ourselves in light of, of who you are and what you have declared to us through the apostle. Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us? Would you conform us to our Savior's image? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the epistle of Galatians, the letter that Paul writes to the Galatian church and, and really to the churches in the region of Galatia, uh, have been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It is, it is the document that sets forth the, the categories of Christian liberty in some beautiful ways. You know, as Americans, we relish our liberty, don't we? We believe that our liberty must be defended uh, from, its two, from its enemies, from, from whatever enemy there that we may face. Paul understands that for Christians, and especially for the Galatians, they needed to defend, or he needed to defend, his people from the two extremes of License and legalism. Now, the first section of Paul's letter, he has dealt with the issue of legalism. And you know, when we started to preach through the book of Galatians, um, I'm, I'm very familiar with the book. I have preached through the book of Galatians before. And I had forgotten how much time Paul spent talking about legalism. 
You know, as I've worked through the book again this time for, for us, as, as I've studied and as I've prayed and as I've read and as I've sought to, to read the Word and to understand it for my own self and apply it to my own life and, and to live it before you in a way that is right, I have been exposed to so many different facets of my personal legalisms that I'm embarrassed Paul has, Paul has not just been preaching against legalism. He's been meddling. He's been messing with me. You know what? That's the Holy Spirit's work in me, and I appreciate what God has done. I think from verse 13 and on toward the end of the book, Paul's going to do the same thing, but he's going to do it with a license. Maybe... I struggle to maintain the balance between legalism and license. And Paul understood that, inspired by the Holy Spirit, better than I do. You know, in Galatians 5.1, Paul writes these words in the very first verse of our, chapter, our fifth chapter here. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't get caught up. Don't get enslaved to legalism. And now he's basically going to say the same thing about license. So as I've prayed about this, as I've thought about this text, and I've thought about the ways that God used Paul to expose my legalism, I wonder if my license isn't a bigger struggle than my legalism. Hey, this may make you uncomfortable this morning. Because we do love our freedoms, don't we? We do love our license. I mean, we are Americans, aren't we? Uh, we Galatians, the Galatians uh, understood that they, Paul challenged them to, to stay free in Christ. He says, he says stay free from, from sin. Stay free from guilt and, and stay free from the curse of the law. And then he takes that other threat that we, we live by, license. And he basically says the same thing. What is license? Let me, let's just define some terms real quickly this morning because I think it's important that I not go too far uh, and then all of a sudden give you a definition and you don't, you know, you go, oh, um, license, the simple definition is loose living. I mean, it's, 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 taken, it's, it's taking our freedom to the immoral ex- extreme, okay? Paul's saying, do not live in that kind of a manner. Uh, if you looked it up in the Oxford English Dictionary, which I did, thank you uh, for Google and for uh, being able to search those kind of documents, it defines license as a liberty of action, especially when excessive, it defines it as disregard of law or property, and it defines it as abuse of freedom. Where, where legalism demands responsibility without freedom, license grants freedom without responsibility. I think we might like license better than we like legalism, if the truth be told, right? Right? Everybody wants to be free. It's a free country. Think about it. 
You know, we have a free market economy. We have free trade. We enjoy free enterprise. People want to have a, a free hand. They, they want to have a free reign. We want to have a, a free cigar. We want to have a free lunch. President, former President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, described the, free, the, the, the four famous freedoms. Say that fast three times. Four famous freedoms uh, that uh, we have. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. The trouble comes whenever there's freedom without responsibility. That, that's precisely what most people want, freedom without responsibility. We want to be free to do that and not have to pay the price. We want to be free to do that and not have to, to, to carry the freight that doing that brings. The Greek proverb, uh, there's a Greek proverb that says, the free man is the one who lives as he chooses. If we're free in Christ, do we live as we choose? Not exactly. There are some things that God has called us to. You know, back in the 60s, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, okay, I admit it, I'm, I'm an old codger in so many ways. The 60s and 70s, what was the 60s all about? Free love. You know, that phrase meant freedom to have indiscriminate sexual relations with anyone, and, and you know, it had little to do with love. It had nothing to do with responsibility. True love requires commitment. It didn't offer real freedom. Sexual sin always brings intense spiritual judgment and, and bondage. Free love meant freedom without responsibility. It just, it, it's not liberty. It's, it's, it's license. This generation's, this uprising, this coming generation's take on freedom is expressed in their statement, you do you. And in so many ways, that little phrase is, is so dangerous. And I think it just proves that there's nothing new under the sun. Our broken, sinful natures twist that which is good into something that no longer glorifies God. The Apostle Paul understood that license poses a great threat to liberty, just like legalism does. That it's a dangerous thing. So he brings this warning to the Galatian people in verse 13. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We need to unpack that sentence if we can, for just, or that phrase if we can, for just a few minutes. The Galatians had been set free from legalism. They... they were not to use their liberty as an opportunity for license either. I think that as fallen creatures, we are so prone to living at the extremes. We're like pendulums, okay? Okay, I'm not going to be a legalist. I'm, I'm not going to live over there where I'm bound by the law and where, where my life is defined by these narrow categories. And, and I've got to, so on the other hand, I'm going to be free. And so I just am free as a bird. And I just do whatever feels right. I do whatever is comfortable. I do whatever pleases me. I'm going to live in that kind of way. We live a pendulum kind of a lifestyle. 
We're prone to thinking that way. Somehow we imagine that we see a loophole in grace and we respond by saying, oh boy, you know, let's go for it. We sing the song, free from the law, oh blessed condition, I can sin all I want and still have remission? (laughs) Not. Go to the next one, next slide. Come on, next slide, there you go, not. Do not. You know, we, we, think, we think in terms of free grace, don't we? And, and, and for those who think that way, you know, that's cheap grace. We think that since salvation is free, since you can't lose your salvation, since you can't, you can't out-sin God, you know, that, that you have three free sins and you're free to uh, express those free sins any way you want to, then we can just relax about obedience A little sin here is not a big deal, they think. We're not uptight about holiness. We can always just ask forgiveness if we blow it. God doesn't call us to live that way either. There's a balance that God has called us to. It still doesn't quite work that way. Scripture warns us sharply against that kind of an outlook. When Jude writes, he he wrote these words. He says, ungodly persons... He calls them ungodly persons, those who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, license, and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude understood it. There's a balance between living in freedom and license and uh, legalism and license and there's a balance that God calls us to. Grace is not cheap grace. Justification by faith is not easy believism. Christian liberty is not license. It's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. There's a big difference. We are free in so many ways. We're free to relish all the good things that God has done and has given to us. But our freedom has limitations. It's not the right to do whatever I please, but the ability to do what I ought to do. When Paul uses the word in verse 13, flesh, sarks is the Greek word, we, we tend to think literally. We, think, we tend to think the flesh, we think of, you know, body. This body, this, this, this skin and bone and muscle and, and uh, sinew. Paul thinks bigger than we do. Paul thinks broader than we do. Um, he's, he's talking about how we think and how we behave. He's talking about our nature, our sinful nature. It's the whole realm of the human mind and of the human emotions and will and, and bodily appetites that are ruled by sin. That's what he means when he uses the word flesh. So hear this word again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For your mind, emotions, wills, appetites to be ruled by sin. Don't use it in a manner that is not intended. It's not our education, religion, don't change that. You know, in fact, our flesh loves religion, doesn't it? 
because religion gives us uh, boundaries. It's the flesh trying to be spiritual. It's we do these things and so we're religious? Or is it we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ and so we're under grace and we're living in freedom? Our hearts are always struggle with the passion for ourselves, you know? It comes out this way. It, it, maybe we express it like this. Give me what I need. We struggle with um, the passion for control. Oh, I'll make it happen, you know? The passion to, to define. This is life. This is death. This is the way it ought to be. The passion to, conform, to perform. Uh, I'll try to be good, but you can't just tell me. Or why can't you just tell me? what I want to hear. In Galatians 5.19, in the, the passage where Paul introduces the fruit of the Spirit, he kind of gives, he kind of gives that idea of, of uh, the flesh, of, of sarks, of, of, of what, the, what our bodily appetites and, and pleasures are. He, he, he gives it some color here. He says, when you're operating out of the flesh, this is what occurs. These are the deeds of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's what the flesh looks like. Paul defines himself pretty well there. Deeds, appetites of the body, attitudes of the heart. They're both listed there in that little list that Paul uh, develops for us. All those attitudes flow out of a heart that destroys community, that destroys the body life of a church, that destroys the, the fabric of a household, that destroys human relationships. Those characters uh, turn out whenever the flesh throws a party, and even if the party is in the church. Think about that. Here's the bottom line to these things. Christian freedom isn't the freedom from sin's presence. That's heaven. Okay, we'll get there. We'll have real, full, total Christian freedom in heaven. But Christian freedom is freedom from sin's penalty and power. It's easy to mouth the words, to say the word grace, and, 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 and yet not grow in grace, isn't it? It's easy to talk that way. It's not a magic word that solves all of our problems. It's kind of a paradox. Luther, I, 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 I love Luther more and more. As I've been studying Galatians, obviously I've been, I think you could probably tell from my sermons, I've been reading Luther's uh, commentary on the book of Galatians. What a rich treasure that is for us, and what a glorious thing. But Luther put it this way in one place. He says, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. That's paradoxical, isn't it? It's like it's both ways. It's both and. Christian freedom rules in the midst of accusation and fear. And so in the face of the dark abyss, we can say, the truth is that Christ was crucified for me, that he carried my abysmal condition on his shoulders. It's not on my shoulders any longer. 
The guilt is taken, the shame has been lifted, and he still loves me. The accuser would have us believe otherwise. He'll whisper in your ear, are you really saved? How can you say you're a Christian and think that or do that? Act that way. How can I? That's what the deceiver is all about. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. Christ has been crucified. He takes away our guilt. He loves us still. It frees love and longing for Christ to increase in us, doesn't it? Think about it. It, it, being born again, being saved by grace, being saved under the, the, the mercy of Jesus Christ frees us to long for Christ. We don't have to hide behind a mask anymore. We don't have to be fake. We don't have to put on a plastic facade that covers over who we are. We can be authentic with one another. I sat in on Billy's Sunday school class this morning, and as we were sharing, as they were sharing around the table, there was authenticity that began to uh, develop as they talked around the table. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you an advertisement real quickly. If you have not participated in one of our adult Sunday school classes, you are missing out on a great opportunity. It was just beautiful this morning to see the way the, the, the fake piety was kind of set aside, you know, and, and only real community is where, is where the dirt under our fingernails doesn't break down um, our relationship with one another. And, it, and, and we know that we all have sin and dirt under our fingernails, but we can still link our arms and sing praise to Christ together. One of the things that attracts me to this body of believers that we call New Hope Presbyterian Church is the fact that most of us in this room recognize that we are broken, needy sinners but that we've experienced grace. That reality, fleshing itself out in our relationships with one another as a family of Christ, makes the gospel authentic and real. That is what our world needs today. Folks, it is real here. Let's continue that. Let's understand who we are. Let's maintain that... that, that that love, not law-keeping and not license, is what God's Spirit has called us to do. Well, let me move on to the second part of the text this morning. Christian freedom uh, makes us slaves to the whole law in a peculiar way. Christian freedom is the freedom to love and therefore the freedom to serve. To love and to serve. Earlier in Galatians, Paul had talked about those two ideas, uh, but he had not linked them together until we come to this place in, in one single thought. Uh, he had not linked them together. Freedom and love are the very thing that Paul says has delivered us from slavery. In fact, when you, when you read this in the uh, Greek, uh, you, as you look at the text here, Paul uses a word that 
I don't think serve really translates well. Now, I may be predisposed because I think the word that he uses in the text here uh, has a, a significant meaning. We translate this verse, we, we say that uh, uh, for your call for freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, and here it comes, but through love serve one another. He actually uses the word doulete, which is a derivative of the word doulos, which doesn't mean anything to anybody but David and Matt in the room right now. I understand. But the word doulos, the root word that he uses in the text here, is the word that always gets translated slave. Servant, as in bondservant, slave. When... We published the um, little uh, uh, children's uh, curriculum for uh, becoming church members. Uh, Ed Eubanks and I decided that we would have to, we had to have a publisher, uh, uh, we had to have a, a, a stamp, you know, a, a, a corporation that we would work under. And so we called it Dulos Resources because we view ourselves as servants, as slaves of the church. Not slavery in a, you know, uh, beat me with a cat of nine tails kind of way, but as servants, as those who give willing service. So let's translate that verse with with that idea in mind. But through love, become slaves of one another. Does that change a nuance? Through love, offer your, your whole body and self, your whole soul, to serve one another. Your purpose in life has become to make yourselves slaves to one another. I think that's what Paul is getting at here in the text. I think that's, I think that's the real meaning behind the word here. Through love, you should make yourselves a slave of one another. So freedom and slavery are not mutually exclusive items. I, I don't think they are at all. In fact, um, I think they stand in the closest possible relationship to each other, and, and they're only adequately, adequately defined as the goal and, and the uh, objective, okay? What we are a slave to is what we are free for. We're a slave to love, so we're free to serve. You get it? I think that's what Paul's after here. We're a slave to others because we are serving others in love. That's Paul's intent here. The freedom we have received isn't some kind of static thing. Um, it's not something just to be admired or, or to, be, to, be, to be stroked. You know, like, well, you remember the picture of Gollum once he got the golden ring in the uh, Lord of the Rings? My precious, you know, and he was, he was all about admiring the ring. True freedom is actually realized in the slavery of love. Paul's admonition to mutual service is not, is not a restriction on the freedom uh, that we have, but it's rather the way that we actualize our freedom, the way we make it real. Luther, I, I, I've got like three or four Luther quotes here today. I'm sorry about that. But Luther says this, and, and I think it's so good. It, he, 
he, he, it's kind of like he's repeating the last quote I gave you, but he embellishes. He says, a Christian is free and independent in every aspect, a bondservant to none. A Christian is a dutiful servant in every respect, owing a duty to everyone. I think he's got it right. He insisted that a, a living faith, that our faith, if it's real, if it's alive, if it really does dwell in our heart, expresses itself in works of love and service to one another and to our neighbors. Love, we talk about love in too many general terms, don't we? It's a concrete expression of our emotion and, and our esteem and, and everything that we feel for someone. Those kinds of good works are done in freedom and they are a result of the fact that we've been justified by faith. That's what Paul's talking about here. Believers who've been made right with God by faith no longer labor under the compulsion of the law or of a self-centered need to, to, to serve others and thereby serve themselves and enhance their status with God. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, when you read the love chapter, as everybody calls it, when you read that chapter, listen to what Luther says about that. Okay, Luther says, One does not love until he has become godly and righteous. Love does not make us godly. But when one has become godly, love is a result. Faith, the Spirit, and justification have love as effect and fruitage, and not as a mere ornament and supplement. I should have put that one up on the... Oh, I did put that one in. Good. I forgot. I think that's worthy of, of scratching your head over, of thinking about that and thinking more fully. I uh, apologize, by the way, that uh, I should have used a darker font there. Um, but really, this is an eye test, and the optometrists are paying me big money. No. Um, I love you guys, and I don't want you to have to go to the optometrist. In, in all honesty, I think that, that, that living faith just can't help but be expressed in the way we serve and love one another. It comes out in the way we live. More than, follow the example of Jesus. Boy, there's the best illustration of what true faith looks like and what genuine love working itself is all about. More than anything else, the freedom that results in the slavery of love is exemplified by the passion and death of Jesus. He loved you enough. He gave himself. The second person of the Trinity, the creator and sustainer of all the universe, the one by whose power the word, all things came into being, humbled himself and became a man and dwelt among us. We're going to do that. We're going to display that in the living nativity out here on the lawn in just a couple of weeks, three weeks, okay? We're going to try to, we're going to, try to evidence that to our community as a gift of the community. We're going to try to, to flesh that out, to flesh out the very love of Jesus Christ. 
God becoming flesh, dwelling among us, being willing to live a perfect and a holy life, to lower himself, to be part of his creation, and to identify so fully with us as he would take your sin and mine upon himself. He didn't go to the cross just kind of generally dying for the principle of sin. You know that, don't you? He went with your sin. He went with the, the, the rebellion that came out of your heart today. And the rebellion that's going to come tomorrow. He died knowing who you are and what you've done and what you will do. He fleshed it out. He gave himself. Paul's already expressed it in Galatians, didn't he? The Son of Man who loved me and gave himself for me. 2.20. The example of Christ's self-sacrificing love was so paramount in Paul's thinking and in his preaching and his ethics of the Christian life. He, he writes in, in Philippians 2, he says, Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude that Jesus had. Jesus, equal with the Father from all eternity, freely chose to humble himself and become a doulos, a slave in his humiliation and death on the cross. For Paul, true freedom, true theology are centered in the crucified Christ. That's where we see it. In his description of the Christian life, Paul never loses sight of that reality, of that fact. And it comes up over and over again. We're going to see it again in chapter 6, verse 14, explicitly. Calvin said this. I had to, I had to quote Calvin. I couldn't keep quoting Luther all morning long. God is invisible, but he represents himself to us in the brethren and in their personals or in their persons demands which is due to himself love to men springs only from the fear and love of god verse 15 talks about the abuse of liberty uh, he, he applies what he's taught in verse 14 if you bite and devour one another take care lest you be consumed by one another so let me keep it in context for you this morning. Remember, the Judaizers, um, the, the, the legalists, have been creating um, um, uh, just this, this incredible division in the church, in the Galatian church. There was, there was dissension, there was backbiting, there was, there was petty arguments. There were, legalism always produces that kind of stuff. I mean, I can just tell you from, from personal experience as a pastor, I've seen it over and over again. Legalism fosters a, a, a self-concern. It always produces schism, a party spirit. You know, this is a joke. This is just a joke. I'm prefacing this. Baptist church growth takes place by schism. Somebody laugh. That, <laughs> we can't get along. And so we split off and we divide. Is that the picture of love? Is that the picture of using our liberty as Christ has called us to, to, be, to, to use our liberty? That was what was about to happen in the Galatian church. They were chewing each other up. We have several dogs at home. We have three dogs at home, okay? 
We have one that's much older than the other two. And we have a puppy, okay? The, the puppy comes around and she literally grabs a hold of our, we have a Boykin Spaniel, his name is Amos. She literally yesterday grabbed Amos's tail and as Amos was wagging his tail, she hung onto his tail, wagging behind him. So what did Amos do? You can imagine what you would have done had you been a dog. He turned around and he snarled. He raised his lip, he bared his teeth, and he growled at her. Now we thought it was really cute until he snarled. And then we yelled at Amos. (laughs) Apparently that's kind of the attitude in the Galatian church. They were biting, they were devouring, they were like animals, uh, you know, abusing one another. They were being selfish, they were being consumed in their self-centeredness. Isn't that the cause of too many church splits? Christians need to be careful that we act out of love. Our Christian liberty is a glorious thing. We should be willing to die for our Christian liberty. You understand that, don't you? Christian liberty lies at the very heart of the gospel, but don't let the fact that we're willing to die for our liberty be marred by our abuse of liberty. Instead, let's live in the liberty that's regulated by love and serve each other. We need to love one another. It is by our love that they know we are believers, not by our backbiting. All right, one last Luther quote this morning, and I promise I'll stop. Luther did it so well. I, I think Luther's comprehension of the book of Galatians is what, I know, it is what sparked the Reformation. Reformation is what I long to see take place in our day and age. I think Luther got it. He says this, Each of us should become a Christ to the other. And as we are Christ to one another, the result is that Christ fills us all and that we become a truly Christian community. That's what the world needs to see. It's not only that we we are to imitate the example of Christ, we're to live with one another in light of the work of Christ. We are to live forgiving one another as we have been forgiven in Christ Jesus. I have four kids. Three of them are married and one of them is single. And one of the verses that we taught our children over and over and over again is that very verse I just quoted. We're to forgive one another as we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. You know what breaks my heart more than anything else on this planet is when they fail, fail to do that with one another. Wait. Maybe even more than when they fail to do it with one another is when I, as dad, at this stage in my life, still struggle to do that. That ought to be the mark of the church as we love one another. We need to remember all that Christ has done for us.
And we need to offer grace and forgiveness in every way possible. Oh, Luther is exactly right. We're to treat each other with grace and mercy because we've been treated that way by Jesus. Somebody get on your nerves? Somebody set you off? Remember how Jesus has forgiven you. We're to walk by the power of the Spirit of Christ that God has sent into our lives. We're to shed His love around the world in our hearts. That's the kind of love we're called to love each other with. It's the love of God that courses through who we are and pours out to those people around us. We're to live in light of the fact that God has given us faith. And that faith was a free gift and we didn't deserve it. I was thinking about these things and you know how you have those aha moments when suddenly the pieces kind of fall into place in your thinking. And I have long appreciated, loved, um, several times I've preached through the reciprocal commands in the, in the Scriptures in the New Testament. I think that those reciprocal commands where we're called to serve one another, pray for one another, love one another, greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, where we're called to, to uh, sacrifice for one another, where, where Paul literally uses the word one another, that I think all of those reciprocal commands are an evidence of the love of Christ dwelling in us. And living in light of the gospel, living in light of, of what Paul is saying here, and it is an evidence that we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Some messes are worth making and some aren't. The church is one of those messes that's worth making. Let's invest in each other. Let's be willing to, to do that. The key is knowing how to work through those messes when they arise. And the key to working through those messes when they arise, whether it's in your family or in the church, is to remember how much you've been forgiven and how great the grace of God is toward you. This passage calls us to work through those messes in the life of the church, in the life of of our families by serving one another through love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. We need to be quick repenters. We need to be quick reconcilers. We need to love one another just as Christ has loved us. We need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Let's pray. Or like, the, like a Christmas tree that's been cut and has ornaments hanging from it. But Father, that we would be like an orange tree. That we would be like an apple tree that bears its fruit that the figs that blossom on our boughs would be the fruits of love being fleshed out in relationship 
with the other trees around us. May the body of Christ be who Christ has called us to be. And Father, may we make the gospel glorious in our day because of the glorious way we love you and love one another. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.